Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. This is episode 90 with Jess Gantos on ethical harvesting. All right, great. Um, well, I always like to start every episode with getting a background on my guests, like especially their fishing background. Um, I know you and I are going to talk about a little bit of hunting too, so I kind of want to get your overall. Yeah. Like, how did you get into the outdoors? Oh, uh, well, the outdoors in general, I guess. Uh, so yeah, growing up in um, like a suburb of Cleveland, I was born in Cleveland proper, but I don't have memories of that. I moved quick, like very early on, moved to the suburbs and stuff. So my like uh my best friend's backyard was just woods and there was a creek and um, a pretty small creek but as a kid it was like you know this massive body of water to like explore so ever since I was a kid my parents like I mean I feel like our generation probably like we were encouraged to like be outside all the time and stuff and like so grateful for that um and so the outdoors has always been a pretty important place to me and like uh, the house that I grew up in out here, I just drove by it the other day and the like massive tree in the backyard that was like, I considered like one of my like best friends, essentially. Um, it was, they had cut it down and I like literally cried cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But, um, so like the outdoors have always been like whatever capacity, like a single tree or like a backyard or like a Creek or the woods or whatever animals and stuff. I'd always catch like you know, like salamanders and, you know, like crawdads and stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's, I feel like the outdoors is like, for me, it was almost like a, like a, like a sacred, like sanctuary kind of, you know? And, um, 
But so I've always been around it, but I didn't grow up like camping. We would go on like maybe like a camping trip every once in a while, but um, but yeah, we didn't do a whole lot of that. Like my, nobody in my family hunts or fishes. Uh, my brother actually, he moved to Michigan for a while and he like started to get into bow hunting for deer. And, um, but he just had about one season out there doing it and he just listening to him talk about it was exciting, but it was, that was like years before I really got into fishing and hunting and stuff. So that's kind of the extent of like growing up with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it was probably like, uh, maybe like five years ago that I got into fly fishing. Um, and a guy that I was seeing, we're still like really good friends today. He took me out, uh, to fly fish on this caldera. So this like, it's like acres and acres of like, you know, concave volcano dormant technically. I mean, technically it's still like possibly could erupt, but hasn't erupted in a long time. It's actually really good elk hunting out that way. Um, but there's this really narrow stream that runs through there. And um, that was my first ever fly fishing experience. And it was, it was like, there's no trees. It's just basically big open plain, like tall grass. And you'd have to like, we had to like army crawl to the edge of the bank and like just toss a dry fly, like not even a nymph or anything. Cause it was just very shallow, very narrow. And you're like targeting these like super small, maybe like, I don't know, like a few feet wide stretches. Uh -huh. um, and I like fell in love with it immediately. And yeah, that, that's kind of what got me started. And then thankfully he, like his name's Billy, uh, my good buddy. And he let me, he let me use his dad's old fly rod and, um, which was super special. It was something that his dad taught him. So he kind of passed it down to me and, uh, yeah, I started going out like every weekend at like pretty much any time I had a chance. It just like instantly took over. So that's interesting that you kind of just I don't know, tried it one day and then stuck with it. Because I feel like a lot of people, they've either had like a like a lingering desire to do it and they finally, you know, make that happen. But it still takes a lot of going and um, really making oh, yeah. it happen. And to just have like a single experience where you're like, boom, that's it. Like, I'm I'm hooked now. Um, although I, don't, oh, yeah. I guess I do hear a lot of those too. Like some people say it just clicked one day where they're like, oh my God, I can never picture like my life without this. Uh, it sounds like that's yeah. kind of like what you had. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I think it's like I always used to, like I would always like take myself out on like hikes or uh, like camping trips and stuff in my adult life and stuff. Like I would do, I was proactive and I was around a lot of people um, throughout my like twenties and stuff that liked to, you know, camp and hike and all that kind of stuff. But I really wasn't around a lot of specifically hunting or fishing per se. Um, and so I feel like the fishing for me, it like, it kind of connected all the dots. Like I love, I have like, undiagnosed like ADHD as many of us do in this like modern world as we know um but I like essentially all that stuff kind of clicked with fishing where I was like oh my god <laughs> like it all like makes sense like I was able to hyper focus on like the sounds that I was making through the grass and the like visual to body like like movement and coordination and I love animals like so much and always have. And so the fact that you get to interact with an animal, hopefully, right. If you like successfully uh, get something. So it just sort of, I think that's like the parts of what like clicked essentially was it was the first time that I felt like every part of my like brain, like that likes to work in its own neurodivergent ways. It had something to focus on and it like satiated uh, parts of my brain as well as like, just obviously the like, the like badassness that it is just to be outside standing in a river, like in a caldera, like 
seeing snow-capped mountains and they're like wild brown trout and there's elk bugling in the back. It's just, you know, it's a whole list. But, um, but yeah, no, it really was pretty, pretty instant for me. Um, yeah, just like pretty much took over. But <laughs> Yeah, it's like a running theme I've heard that um, – part of what people like about fly fishing is that distraction. Um, sometimes it's in the context of like, there's stress going on in my life, like bills to pay and chores to yeah. do and things to do at work. And it kind of takes you out of that. But in the way you describe it, like, that's kind of how I feel. I'm, I generally don't, I'm not that stressed out about my life, but I find myself like, I'm very fidgety. I always have to be like doing yeah. something. If my hands <laughs> aren't busy, then they're like looking for something to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I feel like that's where fly fishing is nice because even um, other forms of fishing you might be kind of standing there doing not much for a, a portion of it and in fly fishing it's like your brain is occupied both hands are occupied both hands are actively yeah. doing something the whole time um and it really like calms my whole body as just so, like yeah. okay we're, we're, <laughs> so you know, every yeah every part is like busy right now and that's kind of I, I identify more like how you're describing it where it's just like everything's all over the place but this is one like focused place to put all of your energy and it just kind of like soothes you and and makes you feel like at ease yeah oh my gosh yeah totally it's cool to hear yeah you have a similar sort of sensation around it because yeah I feel like some people are like oh, all right sure <laughs> but it's so true <laughs> yeah maybe if you're if you're so. comfortable sitting on a couch doing nothing and and not moving your hands then maybe it's not for you but if if you're like I can't sit for more than five minutes without you know wanting to find something to occupy myself that that's I think that's who, draw, who it draws in for sure oh yeah definitely <laughs> yeah so how did you get into hunting then um, so hunting was a really cool, slow intro. Um, I moved out to New Mexico in my, hold on, my 34. I moved there maybe like 20, I moved there about like 10 years ago, I'd say. Um, give or take, I visited a few times, um, but officially moved there about a decade ago. Although I've been here for the last two years, but, uh, but in between New Mexico and Ohio, but, um, but I had the first place I ever rented when I moved to Santa Fe was this little casita um, behind this person's house on like this property. And they, one of the people that lived in the house, they hunted. And so his name's Mark. He's like in his like early sixties. Um, so him and a good buddy of his from like, like his childhood friend, they're like still buddies. Uh, he, he has since moved to Vermont and has been there a long time. He would come back every season to hunt with Mark. Um, you know, he, he didn't do out of state tax. So he would just like assist and Mark would hunt. And so they just like had been hunting together. So they'd come back to the property, you know, like essentially just elated and exhausted from their hunting trips. And I was like, uh, I need to know about what you're doing. <laughs> and so I was like, my first introduction to hunting was truly like, there'd be like an elk head hanging in one of the trees and a hide strewn about over like a fence or something. And then, but then they'd come in with all of the, like the quarters and all that stuff. And then they'd be butchering. And so I would just kind of like pop in me and um, Mark and Josh and uh, Mark's partner, Helen, we were all really close. So, you know, we would have dinners together all the time, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but basically when I'd see these like elk parks everywhere and then they would be spending like, you know, if they filled a couple of taxes, they had other buddies come out, they'd be spending days butchering. So I would just go over and um, I like just wanted to help. And they were like, uh, yes, please, we have to process <laughs> so much meat. And so I was like, all right. And I didn't know how I was going to do with like that much flesh and like blood and all of that. And um, I'm like, in my like younger days and stuff, I would be, if I saw a lot of blood, like I like cut my knee once and like, 
I mean, I should have got stitches. I did not get stitches, but my whole knee was like exposed and I like passed out. Like as a kid, like, so I've had some squeamish stuff around blood. So when I would go in to their house, so there's just meat everywhere, like covering their kitchen table, that extra table set up, trying to, you know, hold everything. I like really didn't know how I was going to respond. But then, um, yeah, when I asked if I could help, they're like, yes, please. And I got into it. And um, I think the first thing I ever cut was like the rump roast, you know, like I cut the back, like one of the hind quarters, you know, and then like cut out like the football shape. It was just so fascinating to me. Um, so I probably helped butcher for like five years oh, wow. before before I even considered going on a hunt. Like I had raised some turkeys and chickens and stuff and I had slaughtered those before, um, which was super hard for me. Um to navigate because that was also a first for me. I didn't grow up with that kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like I actually like the first turkey I ever slaughtered, I had it in my mind like this is a good step between butchering and then going and taking something's life. And um and for fishing, I had been fishing between this time, but I had mostly did catch release. I would keep some fish and you know if it was like a nice size like healthy trout I'd keep it. Um First time I did that, I cried too because it was like a female and there's eggs, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> so I was like, "It was a lot," you know. Um, but because I eat meat and I eat fish, I kept wanting to like work through those things. And um, yeah, so back to the hunting thing. Yeah, like I said, I probably helped butcher for like five years and then slaughtered that turkey. And I mean, I had anxiety for like a month building up to the slaughtering of the turkey. I had like <laughs> nightmares of it, like looking at me from the oven. Like it was just this whole like exaggerated thing. Um, but yeah, so finally I said to Mark and Josh, I was like, Hey, I think I want to, you know, I think I want to put in for a hunt and, um, I would love to, I'd love to be able to go. And you know, obviously I'll need, I hadn't even shot a gun really at this point. So I was like, obviously I'm going to need a lot of like, I'm going to give myself a lot of time to practice and like, you know, just really get prepped for it. And I already run pretty much every day, but I like doubled the like time I ran in the mornings and um, yeah, I just kind of made some conscious choices around it. So I had a lot of time to prepare and um, yeah. So the first time I put in for attack, I didn't get, I didn't draw. Um, but then we had friends of friends that had extra tags. She has like, uh, some land. So she had some extra private land tags. And, um, by the time that hunt came around, because I didn't draw. So I didn't, I assumed I wasn't going to hunt that year. Cause you know, it's like usually like you find out what in like March or something. Um, and so I kind of like slacked on prepping and stuff. So I didn't practice shooting that much and blah, blah. And it was last minute that they were like, hey, we actually have a tag for you if you want to come. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I haven't even really been practicing. So by the time that hunt came around, I didn't feel confident in my shooting skills. So it honestly worked out perfectly. So all I did is I assisted. So I just, like, helped. I, like, carried a rifle. I kind of got, like, the lay of the land, figured out how, essentially, to navigate. Um, you know, that was the first time I saw uh, – that was the first time I, like – helped pull meat off the mountain, but they actually, the only elk we got that time, they had lost it. So a lot of the meat was lost. Um, so really we just kind of like quartered a couple pieces and then brought it back. And I wasn't even physically there as they did that. I was back at camp hunting with, well, I was uh, hunting with someone else. And um, so the first time I ever hunted was really a perfect, once again, it was this really gradual, these steps into hunting. Um, and then cut to last year I, I put in for a public hunt and um this one particular unit that 
it's like one of those like once in a lifetime like hunts and it was a bull tag and um yeah so I drew for a public land hunt which felt better for me which I, you know it's a mixed bag with private and public and I have a lot of like I have a lot of like ethical struggle like ethics kind of like ethos around it where I'm like ah, like we're limited on like like our numbers have gone down, right? With like the allotted tax for public hunts and stuff. And that's a big issue. Although there has just been like a re-upping essentially in New Mexico. Um, it was just passed. So that's really cool. Um, but I can get into that and I don't want to go too far, but essentially I it felt, everything felt right on this last hunt. Um, the one last year. And it was uh, our base camp when we parked our trucks was at like 8,000 feet. And then our, where we camped at, which was all just, you couldn't bring any pack. We could have probably taken like an east, like an access road around the back, but it was, it, that was also private. So we would have had to like reached out. So it was just like, yeah, you know, we just backpacking everything in. And we hiked up about 2000 feet. Um, and that was our base camp. And, uh, yeah, I think it was like three to three days or something into the hunt. We barely saw that many animals up there because, you know, they're typically, like, they, they enjoy the, you know, they'll obviously like traverse like the mountains and stuff, but, you know, they like to graze and like big open pastures. So, but we figured we'd be away from all the other people that were hunting. So, and it's just a beautiful spot. So anyway, so we got up there and um, yeah, I think it was a few days in and we were in the, it was a morning, one of like the more, you know, like right before sunrise, we like hiked out and stuff and like I said, didn't see anything. I saw like a pack of deer, mule deer running. And then I saw antlers. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. You know, this is the big moment. And I like dropped down on my like lay down and kind of like positioned. I had like the bipod up and, and then I saw there was a bunch of mule deer. But and so then I was like, oh, never mind. And then I think it was like maybe a, not even an hour later, there was one lone bull. We were like deep in ponderosas and, um, yeah, it was ponderosas and aspens, like, because we were up so high. And um, all I could see was, like, the shoulder, front of the shoulder to the back of the shoulder. And I didn't even see antlers. So, actually, my buddy had to, like, quietly army crawl around until he saw antlers. To, and he gave me, like, a silent thumbs up. And, yeah, and then I, yeah, everything, like, went silent. You know, I, like, held it in position and. I definitely like second guessed. I was like, am I even looking at the right part of the elk? You know, I'm going through all these things in my mind because it was mostly hidden. I really just saw that one segment of the shoulder. And I just like, like confirmed with myself. I was like, no, no, this is, that's, that's what you're, this is the shot. This is what you want. And um, yeah, I felt like everything went quiet. Like there was like, not even, I didn't hear a bird. I didn't hear the wind rustling, no nothing. I just like took the shot and um and essentially I just was like sort of like uh I didn't like black out, but it kind of felt like it, right? So I like took the shot and then I saw the elks move and I finally saw it in full view and then it stumbled and then um everything went silent. So the, everything went silent after I heard that crash. But then after that crash and all of that sound, it's like all of the noise of the forest like came back and yeah, then we waited about like 10 minutes, um, well maybe longer, gave it time to pass, obviously didn't want to spook it. And it, I was pretty, I was hopeful that it was a clear shot, you know, I didn't have to quickly take a second shot or anything, so we just let it pass and then um, hiked, you know, walked towards it eventually and then I saw some antlers moving 
And, you know, my heart is obviously like racing. It's the first time I've ever taken a shot at an animal. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, I actually started, I saw that it was still rustling. And so my, my friend Mark was like, quietly was like, Hey, you know, you should take a second shot. Um, cause I was trying to get up and stuff. And I, I started like weeping and, I was like, I can't see through this scope right now, you know, and, but we were standing right next to it. Right. So he just, he was such a good support, like zero words really at this point. He just kind of like looked at me and just suggested like, you know, he kind of put his hands out, like pointing towards the elk, like you should, this is, you know, place it here, you know? And so, yeah. So I like took the shot and then I just like, I dropped to my knees. I said, thank you like a million times to the elk. You know, I said, sorry, a million times to the elk. And um, yeah, we did like a little moment and we like did a, he's trained in like um, in the four directions, like opening up the four directions and closing them. So we did like a, a moment of a prayer. Uh, so open up the circle and then close the circle. And yeah, my friend like embraced me and like, he just was so pumped, you know, that that was it. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was incredible. And yeah, I know. I just like cut to from like this is how I got started. On yeah, that's awesome. This is my first, so. <laughs> that's an, an amazing first, first hunt. Uh, What'd you say? I said that's an amazing first hunt. Like that's about as like well, well as it can go. That's what. That's exactly what so all my hunting buddies were like. <laughs> so you know, Jess, like this is like, it's probably all downhill from here. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's good to know. And also, I feel so great. I'm so grateful then that that was like the experience but what was so cool about that was the physical the physical um like wear that it took right it took us we had to hike all of our water up all of our stuff we had to hike it up 2,000 feet I had gotten him at 500 feet higher so it took four of us three trips to bring everything down the mountain so you're traversing this 2,000 foot climb multiple times in in a day with like I weigh like I don't know like 118 so it's like half of my body weight I'm carrying it right so it's like yeah and you're up at yeah 10,000 feet and it felt right as opposed to this like the private hunt I'm super grateful that I had the opportunity to hunt that and um, I had an opportunity to hunt private this year and I you know I definitely took it I took the opportunity I didn't draw again for public and you know I once again kind of struggle with that but all my buddies that hunt they're like no you gotta go (laughs) and so um but yeah but I will say there's something to be said about when you have to push yourself that hard and physically and obviously we all know it when you hunt and even when you fish right it's like mentally emotionally physically like you're just really pushing yourself to your limits daily for like however long your tag is good for like typically five days for elk right so it's a for for rifle so it's like you know, you're just really pushing yourself nonstop. And once again, that ties into that feeling of like all of your, like your whole self is being utilized and, and you're in an environment. Like if, if you enjoy the outdoors, you like hunting, obviously those typically go hand in hand. <laughs> hopefully. So it's like, hopefully, I know there is some like really fancy hunting, of course, out there and, you know, teach their own, I guess, but just different kind of vibes. But yeah, that it's another way to utilize all of those parts of, your brain and your and your body and then you get to feed yourself and your friends and my dog eats all the weird parts that no one wants you know it's like I have I always keep the hot like there's so many as you know and as hunters like as we know it's like 
I, there's just nothing like it. I'm like, I'm obsessed with it. I think about it every year. I get so excited yeah. when I put in for a hunt and then, you know, just like waiting to see if you get something and oh my gosh, yeah. Everything you're saying is resonating so much with me, uh, even down to when you were like, I weigh 118 and this thing was like half my body weight. I also weigh 118 and also carry okay. an elk hind quarter out this year. And I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this thing weighs like half of me. I fell over like five times on the way out. And I was just like, you know, once you start to tip <laughs> yeah. over, there's no stopping it because it's like. <laughs> no, no, there isn't. <laughs> that is amazing. Yes, it's true. I like definitely almost ate shit yeah. multiple times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's hard to explain to people who don't hunt though. I was talking to my um my sister and her family and we had like a mi- we had a miserable pack out this year it was just horrible we, we came out like four different routes because every route we did we were like that we can't do that again like, let's try a different way and you know oh, it was yeah. it was kind of a disaster um but after and at the time we we're like this is this is so horrible why have we done this like this is the worst decision we've ever made <laughs> and like yeah. three days later we we're like that was awesome <laughs> you know and, yes. and so it always we- happens yeah yeah, so now we're telling the story to to her, and we're like, "Yeah, it was it was amazing. Like we were we were just like so beat up and so scratched up, and our muscles were so sore." And she's like, "Why you Why do you do this again? Like it doesn't sound fun." I was like, "I can't explain it to you. Like it wasn't fun, but now it was. Like now looking back yes. at it, I cannot wait to do it again. But at the time, I was so miserable. Um, and yeah, I feel like when you talk to someone else who's done it, they totally get it. They're like, "Yeah, it sucks, and it's amazing. That's that both of those things are true." Um, and yes. someone who's never done yeah, it, yeah, they can coexist. Right, right. Yeah. They're the same thing. And someone yeah. who's never done it before is like, it just sounds like it sucks. <laughs> like I, yeah, you know, you, you <laughs> can't sure. express like why it, why it's so satisfying. And then you get home, like you said, you feed yourself for the for the rest of the year, and um, it just like you know, it it it's a year long thing because you're always preparing yes. for it. You're you're feeding yourself from it, so it it lasts all year long. But it's like sometimes it boils down to like you know, 10 seconds of good luck where that animal just happens to be in the right spot. And like that, that makes your whole year in that like one instant. Yes. It's just like, you cannot explain that to someone who hasn't experienced it, but um, it's so satisfying yeah. to talk to someone who gets it. Cause yeah. So how has your season been this year? Have you, have you had some luck this year? Yeah. 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 So yeah, this year was good. Um, well, I didn't draw public, uh, but yeah, the same friend who had, well, friend of a friend who has property. Um, yeah. She had, she actually had some like weird stuff for some guides that were out on her land last year that she ca- she actually found um, a couple of single point elk, male elk, and um, they weren't harvested because technically there was one point and they needed two uh, to bring it. So she, and she's like walking her property, like not, she's very, very close and intimate, like with her land, which is really a beautiful thing. Um, but yeah, so she found some, some elk that were essentially, technically poached I guess and so she yeah she kind of got skittish with the people that she had allowed on her property um over the last couple years and so she had extra tags again and she yeah she like trusted our crew and stuff that you know we we wouldn't do that we actually just had we had cow tags anyway so odds would be low that you know we'd be trying to take something you know it's usually pretty obvious um and so um anyways yeah so she had some extra tags so we went out um, and the landowner camped with us and she was just so amazing and helpful with like, basically we, we essentially had a scout in a way, right? Cause she had been on her, she lives there, right? So she's like constantly driving around, hiking around, checking everything out, listening for bugles, you know, throughout the whole season and all that stuff. So it was um, really helpful to have her 
help guide essentially. Like she, we all went on our own and stuff, but she was like, that general direction may be good. Or there's this meadow and you know, there is water still in that hole. So if you want to go that way or, you know, this, this pond is dry or, you know, those kinds of things and stuff. So, um, yeah. So this time what was really cool about, I mean, obviously every hunt is cool, even if you don't get something. Um, but obviously it's so satisfying to actually get something but um but what was really cool about this time is I went I went on my own um like I had my whole hunting crew on the, on the mountain with we were all there on the mountain but um I had gone out on my own for a few mornings and stuff and um and a couple of night hunts and stuff so I went on like an evening hunt I left at like I don't know like three something that's just funny it's like when you hunt and you say evening it's like three o'clock yeah yeah um and so we had already done like a morning hunt and um I was with a, another friend of mine and her and I her and I were tracking oh my gosh like who knows I, it was I felt like it was like all day but of course it was probably like you know like 5 30 we left well 5 or 5 30 we left camp um got back around like noon or something but that whole stretch of time you know we, we posted up in this big meadow that we had seen some tracks of like sign the day before um so we waited there for maybe like until sunrise obviously you know each wait uh and so we like waited for the sunrise and then um we didn't see anything and so we just kept going further up and up the mountain and there was thick with aspens and um ponderosas well not super thick with aspens at this point actually mostly aspens i'm sorry mostly ponderosas and some other pines and stuff um and so we started going up there and we followed like a like a hot trail for like what it felt like every time which is everybody knows this few months right it's like you feel like they're just around the corner and then you're like oh let's keep going and then you're like wow this like shit is literally not hard as a rock oh and this this pile is actually lukewarm and you're like <laughs> you know each each sign you see you're like oh my gosh it's getting closer and didn't see anything um but that was like a really that was also the first time that i led sort of like a tracking like segment or whatever and my, my friend Regina she was like she was like damn she's like I think this is like she's like you like didn't talk for like six hours <laughs> she was like I just like followed you uh, and was so like excited and like convinced that we were gonna see something and it was this really great exchange like we obviously stopped at some point to like eat some food and she was telling me all this and we, we were just like laughing our asses off because I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I have spoken zero words to you for so <laughs> long and she didn't either. You know, we were just both like totally zoned out. And um, yeah, so that was a good day, but that was like a long day of not really seeing anything well, elk wise. And then um, we saw some like mule deer. And then I think it was, I wonder if it was that night or maybe the next evening hunt, um, I went out, I was like, screw it. Like, if they heard me and her, like, maybe I just need to go solo and maybe it'll give me, like, a little bit more opportunity of just, like, being more quiet and stuff. And um, she wanted to go to this other spot we had passed anyway. So she went to this one spot. My other friends were, like, completely other side of the mountain. Um, and I got up to this one spot and uh, I had passed it the day before as well with and decided that's where I was going to go. Anyway, so I, like, found this little spot at the base of these three pines and... Um, you know, I cleared it all out 
and like kind of like built up some extra little like cover and stuff. And the view that I had was there was almost like three, three like elk highways kind of, you know, like where they could have like come down to. And so I positioned myself just up a little higher so I could look down all the spots and kind of get, there was maybe like distance wise. I'm trying to think. I'm so bad at like thinking of like yards and stuff, but maybe like a couple hundred yards would, would have been the first available shot, like through the trees and, and kind of, and then like give or take each one of those highways. So that was kind of what I was like looking at. And then, um, yeah. And then it started hailing and raining and I was like, okay, cool. And I just like covered myself with my rain gear and had my rifle like off to my side and would just kind of like peek up from time to time and scan the area and you know the temperature just dropped so drastically so I was like really just trying to like maintain body heat and it was still I probably still had like three hours till sunset so and it just kept dropping and dropping and the sun had gone behind <laughs> the mountain and stuff so um well it was actually it was starting to and actually there was this beautiful like rainbow like just appeared to the like north of me about like 60 something yards and it like ended between like an aspen and a ponderosa oh, cool. and i was like literally the end of the rainbow and then like i like looked away i looked back towards those elk highways after seeing the rainbow and there was a single female elk just standing she was probably same thing like 60 something yards away from me um kind of just like really big steps over these big fall, you know, like pickup sticks, all the aspens had dropped and stuff. So she was, she was loud, but I think because it was hailing, I didn't even hear her. So it sort of seemed like she appeared out of like nowhere, which of course she did not, but it's like, it sort of seemed like it, it. always seems like that though. Yeah. I mean, it, it totally does. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't really hear her. Right. So it was just me and it was just her for like, she didn't have a herd with her. Um, and uh, it was just me. I didn't have my crew with me. Right. So I just, but I hadn't, I had mistakenly put my rifle on my left side. I'm right-handed. I put my rifle on my left side and I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> so I'm like trying, she's perfectly broadside by the way. So she's like walking broadside to my, to, to the North. And, um, yeah. So I like shed my like raincoat and I'm trying to like bring the rifle off to my right side, like in front of me. And like, I think I get it like halfway to the other side and she sees movement and we look at each other and I'm like, oh, definitely not supposed to look at her right in the eyes, but I can't help it. <laughs> right. And so then, um, so we, so I stopped moving. I, I swear she like, we both like, we're like holding our breath, it seemed, you know, and then she eventually resumed a movement. So like, I was able to get the rifle all the way to my right side. And I think I was like kneeling kneeling up you know I was like just sitting sitting up on my knees or something and so yeah I just lifted lifted the rifle up and um yeah placed the shot well enough that she it was yeah right between there was like a long shot and um and yeah she actually stumbled towards me and she was probably she stumbled all like another 40 yards toward me so she was only like 20 yards we were literally just facing each other and then she stumbled back and dropped right where I had taken the shot. And of course it felt like an eternity. She actually dropped really fast. Um, and then I like came out of the trees, that little nest I had made and quickly took a second shot because I saw, you know, of course, like the look in her eyes and I was like, oh, shit, you know, she just looks 
so terrified. And so, yeah, so I took a second shot and that was well placed too. And same thing. If anybody saw me, they probably were like, oh my gosh, this person's losing it. Cause I'm like crying, saying thank you, saying sorry, like all of these things and stuff. And, um, my like radio goes off. My buddy's like, Hey, I just heard a shot. I think some elk might be coming your way. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, like, no, I, I got, I got mine. I got one. I think is what I said. And he was like, he clearly didn't hear me because he's like, no, no, I think that there's some coming your way. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm like, I'm sitting here. She's, she's down. She's passed. I'm just sitting here like with her and stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> and like, like, you know, whatever, like hung up for whatever. And yeah, he made his way over and stuff. And yeah, so it was cool because I got this one-on-one time with my, well, I got this solo time just being there by myself and you know processing all of that and learning all of the fine details of even just the simple thing of like okay keep your rifle on the correct side when you wait that is such a big thing that the little things that you don't realize uh you're like that wouldn't be a big deal like if you just thought about that beforehand like oh you know what i need it i'll just move my rifle to the right side you don't realize, yeah. you know, when, when it's like go time, how these tiny little things like really matter. Like for me, it was this year I had my, um, my earplugs in my pocket and I couldn't get my hand yes. in my pocket because, you know, she, like yeah. she's looking right at me and my, my hand is not near my pocket right now. So it's like, so it's yes, like okay, exactly. I make a mental note. You need to have your earplugs like somewhere up, you know, maybe near your bino harness or something like somewhere where you yeah. won't have to yes. make as much movement. And it's just like these little things you learn over time where, you know, the next time you go hunting, I bet you're going to put your rifle on the right side because yeah, like you've, oh gosh, you've had to learn it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Wait, so, so did you go out this year? Yeah, yeah, we did um, archery elk, and then we did uh, rifle pronghorn with my buddy, and uh, rifle whitetail um, about two weeks ago. So we've been out a handful oh my of gosh, times. Amazing! Yeah, yes. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm so pumped for you. It was. A, I it was have great aspirations to get to bow hunting for sure. It is. Uh, so I I've been bow hunting for a couple of years, and um, my fiance actually got into hunting like through me, but he started with rifle too as you know as most people do and he got a deer uh i don't know his first or second season um he got a mule doe muley doe and i he eventually just was like jealous of the fact that archery season is like a month long and it's in like nice weather <laughs> like it wasn't even about like yes. the, the weapon itself it was like man archery hunting seems really like pleasant and rifle hunting is always like a blizzard and you get five <laughs> days and there's people oh, everywhere gosh. yes um and so he switched to archery because of that and it's like yeah it's really nice because the weather in september is just beautiful and you have all month to go um and you can pra- like we can practice in our backyard you know it's it's like really easy oh, to go out and shoot a little so bit so nice yeah so that's like why we like it. I mean, it's way harder. You don't get animals very often, but the whole process is just very pleasant. And what's the range? What's what's like the desired range again? Like out to 40 or so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> it's a whole other <laughs> list of challenges. Definitely, yeah. It's definitely a, like really, really challenging, but um, the pros outweigh the cons for us. And we're okay with like not getting stuff most of the time. You know, we've got other tags we can get, cool. you know, we'll go pronghorn hunting with, with rifles right. and, and deer hunting and stuff like that. So it's what we, we definitely still do some rifle hunting, but archery is like where we like to focus our time when we can, because it's like a really pleasant hunt. So you should definitely, you Oh, know, that's cool. Now that you've got a couple of rifle hunts under your belt, you should definitely like pick up a bow and give it a try. Yeah. I'm, yeah. On um, that same friend who actually taught me how to, who introduced me to fly fishing, he, 
he bow hunts for elk and stuff. But yeah, he basically says the same stuff. Yeah, <laughs> He's great. like, yes, I'm by myself out there and it's beautiful. And then it's like, you know, they're really bugling, I feel like at that time. So it's like, yeah, yeah. And then you have to get close, right? So it's like, yeah, the stories that he, that we exchange about hunting is always so beautiful. And then when he tells you about his like bow hunts, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds magical. Like his, the whole description of, what's going on around you in those early season hunts like that it's like no there's got to be nothing like it yeah it kind of it's like i've heard people um describe it as like fly what fly fishing is to like conventional fishing it's like bow hunting to rifle hunting like both are fun but there's something that you know a lot of people i feel like they've tried fly fishing and they're like this is what i was meant to do and kind of the same way where you pick up a bow and you're like this feels like what i wanted to be doing um yes so if you you know if you like fly fishing over conventional fishing i could see you know you really gravitating toward bow hunting if you give it a try i mean you gotta drop some money on the gear but like once you do it it's yeah. it's really fun so you should definitely give it a try oh cool yeah yeah this is definitely adding to my um excitement around it <laughs> just talking about it yeah for sure oh so cool um kind of tying this back into to fishing i saw a lot of like a, a couple things you mentioned on the um the sheet i sent over to you beforehand a lot of things were centered around like the harvest of fish. That's something that I often don't like talk to people about just because, you know, a lot of people are catch and release or it yeah. doesn't, it's not really relevant to the topic, but um, I saw you kind of had like a, f- a focus on um, like an ethical harvest. And I was really interested in picking your brain about that um, just because I, you know, we also keep some fish sometimes and I, I've noticed a, you know, something that people do, even if they hunt and they want to be like, you know, take that extra shot to get the animal um, to die quicker then they'll just like throw their fish up on shore and not kill them. And it's like, you know, why don't you want to give the fish the same kind of death? Um, and I, I kind of assume that you might have some, some thoughts on this since you mentioned like uh, the ethical harvest of fish. So I just wanted to like hear, hear your thoughts on that. Oh yeah. You know, I did cut out for a second when you said that people will sometimes bring the fish to the bank. Um, oh yeah. Just that people will sometimes like They'll, they'll be ethical in their hunts, but then, you know, they don't deliberately kill their fish. They might just, oh, like, throw their yes. fish on ice or throw their fish on shore. And it's like, you know, that fish doesn't want to die any slower, more painfully than any other animal out there. I completely um, agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a really that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think it's funny. I think I actually have, like, naively made the assumption that if I see that with fishing, they probably don't hunt. But no, but there's definitely overlap. And, there there um, definitely is. <laughs> 100%. I seriously think that was like a really interesting little like block that I had made. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that, um, well, first off, I do think, I understand, obviously, we are in a situation within our climate and everything and our like resources. Um, I think animals, I understand and I grew up with thinking of like animals as a resource. I don't think of it that way anymore. Um, and uh, so I will say it's like, it's kind of like, to me, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's complex, right? So it's like animals are resources in some capacity, right? If you think of resources in the terms of like harvesting, right? Which is what hunting, a lot of hunters do. Well, primarily for hunting, unless it's like sport hunting, but blah, blah, blah. But for fishing too, right? If you're not doing catch and release, it's, you know, you're, you are harvesting an animal. So it's easy to kind of like use the term resource with harvesting. Um, but I personally just think that like, I think as humans, we're just like another species. Um, and so I don't think we're greater or lesser than 
a fish or a bird or an elk or a plant even, you know, um, obviously things that are more anthropomorphic, like it's easier to have a connection with um, and, and, a, and like to have a relationship with, I think. Um, but I think, so there's that part of it. So for myself, I just, I think of like, I really do actually, and I didn't really realize this. I didn't have the language for this as a kid, but I've always thought of animals as like my like neighbors or like, and or friends, you know, and I like find myself, it's actually kind of funny. I often find myself uh, when I'm like fishing solo and stuff, like I see like a chipmunk or like a squirrel or an eagle and I like audibly greet them, you know? And it's Oh, I like, do too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that kind of relationship, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, these are my friends. Like, it's so good to see you. And like, I mean, it just genuinely is that, it's just the way that it is. And so, so for myself, like that's how I think of, that's how I think of like, like elk and fish, just to be, just to break it down to the two that I, that I typically like harvest. Um, and so it's a really big deal. I think that's why I weep when I take an animal. That's why I weep when I take a fish, you know, I, I don't weep as much with fish anymore. And that's like something that I've been like reflecting on, which I find super interesting. Um, but it, it's like, Every time I take a fish, it's like, there's a mo I say thank you and I pause and I make sure that it is calm, right? Like I'm not, I'm like, I'll leave it in the net for a while and stuff. Like if I just brought the fish in, I'm not just going to grab it out and then like, you know, I usually will just, uh, I'll find like, a, you know, a flat surface, usually a rock and then another rock. Like I don't carry around that. I think they call it like a priest. The priest. Yeah, which is just such. Yeah, because you. Do you know why it's, it's because that? it delivers the last rites? Oh my gosh! Is, I was wondering. And yeah. definitely, I'm like was raised Catholic. I'm like a recovering Catholic, as they say. And so, like the first time I heard that's what it was called, I was like, "Well, this is interesting." Um, yeah, it's odd. It's very odd. It's also just culturally very fascinating. Yeah. So, but anyways, yeah. So I just usually find like a rock and then another rock, and then you know, just you know, the facing up as you'd see it naturally swimming in the river and you know hit it that way and um obviously want to get it done in one fell swoop um but yeah I feel like the same practices as hunters like we need to be like if that's how we hunt for big game I feel like it makes sense to extend that type of respect to to fish as well and um because it's another life it's not it's not greater or lesser than maybe like if if you're thinking in like terms of like meat like pounds and quantity and all that stuff like it could be easy and we quantify things as humans it's a part of what we do and or even like cognitive ability like I feel like that's a big thing with people where it's like you know that elk might have more thoughts going on yeah. than a yeah. fish and, and that's kind of like a hard one to reconcile but at the end of the day like that doesn't mean the fish wants to die any more than the elk does like, yeah totally you know, yes, they both I mean, live. yeah it's another life and I feel like as we know like there needs to be a balance of every kind of like species and in order for everything to like continue the way that it has then I guess that's like maybe a little more optimistic <laughs> than I could be. But, um, but yeah, so I feel like I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think there's a, when it comes down to it, like I agree with you, I, I don't think there's a difference between, I don't think one life is greater than the other. So I think you should show that respect. Um, so there's that side of it, but I also like really, um, uh, my parents would probably kill me if I, I shared this, but I'm going to share it anyways. But we like we grew up uh, struggling, and um, my parents were always super resourceful, um, and they'd always make ends meet. Like I, I 
you know, there was hardships and stuff, but they just were playful about stuff. They always made it. They always kind of just, they covered for us, you know? And, um, so I know what it's like to, to need as we all do in different capacities. And I noticed that when I was, when I got into fishing, once again, my buddy who introduced me to fishing, he harvests fish. When he, when he harvests fish, he's very intentional. He primarily does catch and release, but he's also the one that like hunts too. So he's almost to the point where like, if we go fish together, it's like hard to get a picture of a fish. Cause he's like, no, no, no I'm not bringing it out of the water, which I love, you know? Um, but, but so that's kind of, it's cool to see that balance go between both species and stuff. But, but back to the um, harvesting part of, of fish and stuff, I feel like, and like knowing what it, feels like to need and lack on resources it's like I would see I would see posts of people on like Instagram and social media and stuff this is when it actually came to me in the first place I didn't even like recognize that this was something I was thinking about or processing or reflecting on was like I would harvest fish and that's what it was and then when I started like being a little bit more active on social media and you know got into I like solo fish for years before I started fishing with groups of people and stuff and it's really it's been amazing it's really I have a solid group of female anglers out here in Ohio that are like family at this point and I love it but I like sort of wasn't exposed to general the general culture around fly fishing and I didn't even really realize it until much later that catch and release like is such a big component of fly it can be a pretty big component of fly fishing and when I started like noticing that, I was like, shit, this is kind of messed up. Like I understand the need for catch release because our fisheries are struggling. Um, but when it's pushed nonstop, when it feels like it's pushed like repeatedly and there's that pressure to do so, some people fish because they need food. And as humans, we that's how we have fished for... <laughs> For so long, like all the indigenous peoples, like across the globe, if you're by water, um, typically we're fishing, right? And so I don't like the pressure of catch and release that puts on people that have a need for harvesting their fish for the sake of like food and stuff. Um, and I know there's so many, like, there's so many uh, arguments around that, and to each their own. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff because I think it really is individual, right? It's like I harvest fish from time to time when I'm like, oh, my freezer's low or, oh, I'm going to, I have some friends coming to visit. I would love to share food from this particular region, right? And it's like, there's that intention behind it. I also, I mean, even though I say all this about harvesting, I catch and release a lot because if my freezer's full and I don't have like, um, friends in town or I don't have a dinner in mind. You know, it's like when I have, I'm really intentional about it. It's not like every time I catch a fish or harvest it, I more often than not release it. Um, but if it's a good size fish, you know, and I, like I said, you know, I've got a need for it. I definitely harvest it. And I feel like it's important. I actually, even if I don't like quote unquote need a fish, air quotes around need, um, I still will, I still will harvest a fish every so often because I feel like it connects me and grounds me to what the act of fly fishing is for, for me in some ways. And so, yeah, 
I just, I, the biggest thing for myself, I just don't like the pressure that people give to people. Like, I don't want people to feel bad if they need to harvest a fish. Like, that bums me out, you know? And I've been that person before, and I've been on, I, like, had an opportunity to fish with some people, and we, we like, caught over, like, 100 fish, and, like, we didn't keep one. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my gosh. Like, and I was struggling financially at the time, right? So I'm like, man, it would have been really nice to harvest some of these fish to sort of offset the money I had to spend to help, you know, for the trip itself, you know? So it's, it's a mix, it's a mixed bag and it's different for everyone. And yeah, so. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Do you, have you uh, received like much pushback or or commentary from people you know about harvesting fish? Because I feel like it's you know it it's it's almost swinging toward more catch and release and more harvest at the same time. I feel like there's been a bigger bigger push toward you know ethical fish handling and stuff. But it it's like there's a difference between um, poor catch and release and harvest. Yes. Like I also disagree with treating the fish like crap and then throwing them back in the water to then die. Yes, um, you might as well harvest catch it. And release, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm gonna catch and release, I want to like give it the best chance of surviving, but I also will keep fish. And it's like this weird dichotomy of like I either want the fish to do really, really well when I put it back in, or I want to kill it. Yes. Um, I don't want it to die like on its own ten minutes yes. later. Yes. Uh, and so there's kind of like a push toward good catch and release ethics, while also I I feel like I've seen more and more of a push toward hey, let's not give people crap about harvesting fish because for a while it was like you're the devil if you harvest yes. fish, and now I feel like. Most people at least have kind of come around where if, as long as it's sustainable and legal, then, you know, no problem keeping a fish. But have you have you personally, like, had any sort of pushback about keeping fish? Because I know there are still some, like, diehard catch and release folks who don't agree with it. Yeah, I'd say I actually haven't had a whole lot of pushback. Um, and I wonder if it's because I really do, like, there's so much intention around when I harvest something. Yeah. So I feel like there's typically a lot of dialogue going on it's not like a, an as- assumption of some sort and to be honest I actually get a lot of flack from my friends because I do catch and release because a lot of my buddies hunt and they're like wait so you're not even keeping these fish and I was like no, no some of them I keep but some of them I put back and they're like I don't understand so I I actually um it's kind of funny it's almost like the opposite um but I will say there's this um Nonprofit. I'm sure you've heard of them, but keep them wet. I feel like they are doing a great job of that balance between the two, right? Because it's like I had like saw some other stuff, and I was kind of like unknowingly and unintentionally kind of like prejudging, right? And I was like, interesting. I was like, I, I I like agreed what they were saying, but I also was kind of like looking to see if they had um 
but they're putting a little bit of pressure about harvesting fish. Right. And I, it was so cool. They like, I think I listened in on a, uh, they had some sort of like conference or something like, like virtual, um, conference. And I listened and, um, yes, they did such a good job of that balance between the two. They're like, they address the fact they're like, Hey, so like, we're all about ethical catch and release and like safe handling of fish so that they have a high chance of survival. Um, and, but they like sandwiched or like paired that really well with, but also if you decide to harvest fish feed, and like you're saying, it's like legally and, you know, limit and all this stuff, like then yeah, absolutely. But they don't like push harvesting. They push catch and release. It does not seem like they judge at all about harvesting. And so um, granted that's one group and they, I, I thought they were really awesome, but I also tend to not like interact too much with people that sort of have that. It's hard when people think in black and white, which we all kind of like default to do we default to in a lot of areas in our life. But I don't think it's the best way to kind of go navigate a lot of these like more complicated or complex like scenarios or situations. So yeah, I feel pretty lucky that I typically am surrounded by people that, uh, yeah, don't seem to be, I don't really get a lot of pushback. And like I said, it's actually surprisingly the opposite. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. Cause like you catch a lot of fish. I mean, I really, I catch a lot of fish that are like three inches long. Yeah, and it's same. like, well, yeah, I'm like, not going to keep that. Later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely going to toss those like, things just, back. <laughs> Right. I need to start catching more big fish if I want to, uh, like really have to pick and choose which ones I'm keeping. Cause for me, it's like, this is the only one I caught today that's worth keeping. So yeah. you know, the rest are going. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Which is great. Right. That's, and you know, I also, a lot of times too, it's like with fishing, like if I, if I bring my knife and I bring, you know, like a cooler, like something to put them on ice and stuff, like I won't take the first fish. I always let that first one go. Um, and then if I happen to catch another fish that's of like a good size, you know, and then, then I'll take it. But, um, that helps with me to like stay, to reduce that level of anxiousness of harvest and like sort of like that, the greed part that can kind of come in, which we all experience that from time to time, of course. Um, and I actually, uh, just finished reading this incredible book that had been like suggested to me, like for years and years, and I finally got around to it. Um, uh, braiding sweetgrass. Oh, I just read that. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. So Robin Wall Kimmer, the author, I was like listening to it, and then she was talking about ethical harvest, and I like didn't have the language for this, right? And I'm like hearing this like woman. I listen on audiobook, and she narrates it, which is really cool. Um, I was listening to it, and she's talking about this ethical harvest, and um, I was like what the crap? Like, this is exactly what I've been trying to put into practice and have been like making a solid effort to do. And then turns out, of course, like indigenous wisdom, like <laughs> for ancestors and ancestors be like, Oh yes, this is what we've been doing for so long. And, um, yeah, she's, yeah, she's from like Anishinaabe area, but I think she lives in New York. Um, but anyways, yeah, she was, yeah, she, when she phrased, when she wrote about that, that whole chapter was just like, I, I think, yeah, it just like definitely resonated in a way. And I think I was driving to, to New Mexico when I was listening to it. And I'm like in my truck by myself, like driving across like the States, like 
not yelling, but kind of like hooting and hollering, like in my truck, like, Oh my God, this is so cool to hear this. Like it was so, um, there was a level of, um, almost like familiarity or this really deep sense of connection with what she was saying. And just knowing that that's like, it's like the people from this land have been doing for so long. It, yeah. It just really tied a lot in and it made me pretty, pretty pumped about the fact that that was like, it was cool to have the language around it. And then to realize that there's like so much history behind that. And um, yeah. So yeah, it was cool. That's another one of those things that I think it's hard to express to someone who doesn't, I, I, I would say hunt, but it's just basically like procre- procure your own food in any way. Like whether it's gardening or yeah. hunting or fishing or whatever you do, foraging, um, just that, that connection you feel with your food when you have gone out and like worked for it. And it's like, you know, if you buy a steak at the store, like, are you really thinking about that cow when you eat it? Or if you buy the fish from the fish market, like that that at one point was like a living, breathing creature and you don't think about it. It's just like a piece of meat on your plate, but like you can't pull a piece of elk out of your freezer or a piece of trout out and not think about like the day you got it. And like, you know, it brings up conversations with people and things. And it's just like such a different experience um, to like have those memories like flooding back and and feeling that connection with what you're eating and what, and what it was when it was still alive. Yeah. That it's just like hard to express to people. And it's something that really kind of actually angers me when I see people who are anti, um, either anti hunting or anti harvesting fish or anti fishing. And, and it's just like, I don't know how to express to you, like how much more meaningful this is to me than, you know, what you think it is, which is just going out and killing something for the fun of it. Like, this is so such a deeper connection that you will never understand. And I can't, and it, it, it like upsets me that people are against that, yeah. that process. Yeah. Like I just can't fathom it. It's, tr- it's tricky. Actually, when I had uh, posted on Instagram, that bull that I got, I, I can't remember. There was like a, like a handful of people had like decided to like unfollow my page and stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's very curious, you know? And I didn't even like really think about it, you know? Cause it was such a, such a like, for lack of another word, like spiritual experience to me, it was very like, I, I changed as a human after I like took that elk's life, you know, it's like, it was a whole, it was such a monumentous moment for me. And to have these individuals um, think it was too much. And I was curious. I was like, well, I wonder how many of these people eat meat, you know? And I actually was able to have a conversation, a, f- a friend of mine, she didn't like unfollow or something, but she just kind of started a conversation around it. And she was like, whoa, this is really hard for me to see. And the, the picture that I posted, there was no there was no blood or anything. Like I was really like cautious because it didn't want to be like triggering for anyone. And out of respect for the animal, like he was the most handsome elk I've ever seen. And I, you know, didn't want him to be like, you know, his tongue wasn't hanging out, you know, like his tongue was in, he was, it was very tasteful. Right. And so, um, but anyways, her and I had a really cool conversation around that. And essentially what you're saying, it's like, she, she sort of shifted her perspective on hunting after the conversation we had, because I was, that was the first thing I asked her. I was like, but wait, you eat meat, right? And I like, remember like when we were like in high school, we'd go to like, you know, Taco Bell or something together, you know, so I'm like, yeah. she definitely eats meat. <laughs> and so we talked about it and it was just really, uh, yeah, it was cool to have that dialogue, but it's, it is, it, you, what's cool about what you were saying is like, if you're going to pull elk or trout or any kind of meat you've harvested out of your freezer and you think about the day that that happens, that is like, you're reflecting on, um, relationship with yourself. You're reflecting on a relationship with the piece of land that you were on. You're 
you're deepening your relationship with the animal. Like there's just, so yeah, there's so much weight to it. It's not just like, here's a chunk of meat I'm going to gnaw on. It's like, yes, like I had to carry this thing <laughs> like down 2,000 I'm still going to gnaw on it, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, tell me, uh, tell me about the writing you said. You said you've been getting into some writing, and you just submitted your first uh, magazine article. Oh yeah, um, and I want to definitely touch on that before before we wrap up because that's 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 awesome. That oh you've yeah, kind of taking that next step. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I was pretty pumped on it. I um, I've always liked writing, but I always really have just done, I've done some like really small stuff, like nothing published. Well, stuff that's been published, but it's more like for like clients of like previous clients of some stuff, like just like word stuff, but um, like wordsmith stuff. But um, I had basically I'm trying to think of like, what was the first thing that I feel like I really, well, when it comes to hunting and fishing, the, the, that, that hunt with the bull, like I really took some time to like, ref- I took a lot of time to reflect on that whole experience and stuff. And I just wrote it all out and everything. And um it was just a really good way for me to share that experience, right? And um, and yeah, I had some people that I like read it, read the story like out loud too. It was just like a, I actually posted on my Instagram, so you can read it there. But it was just like a really short kind of like reflective like essay on that experience. And I mean, I had buddies who were like, they're like, you just made me cry, and you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, no, no, no. And they're like, no, but in a good way. And they're like, that was, they were like, I felt like I was with you in that experience. And that really moved me that they shared that. And I love dialogue. I love having deep conversations with people. So that's part of the reason I was pumped to come and talk with you and hear your experiences and share mine. Um, Cause I think it's that sharing of experiences that really can even going back to the people that like may eat meat and, but aren't maybe aren't comfortable with hunting or even are anti hunting. Right. Um, having that dialogue and giving somebody the space to share their experiences is obviously how we connect. Right. And so, um, yeah, I like got really pumped on that idea. So I wrote, um, an essay on being a female in the industry, um, fishing, fly fishing specifically, you know, I brought in a little bit of hunting in there and then I work in construction. So I like all the, and I like love bird watching. I'm like constantly in like predominantly male dominated, uh, arenas. Right. And ever since I was a kid, you know, so I'm like, I've been something I've been like working myself, uh, working through for quite some time, but, um, so I wanted to write an article to reach out to, you know, I have a lot of male friends that um, just don't even realize that they're kind of pulling some shit that you're like, hey, just so you know, you're making an assumption right now that I don't know what I'm doing. And there are times that I don't know what I'm doing, as as does everybody. We're always learning in all these different capacities. And I kind of felt like I was having this conversation all the time with my like male buddies and also like not like complaining but yeah some complaining some venting for sure with like a lot of my female buddies that are into um you know hunting and fishing and they're all like yep same (laughs) you know it's like this constant resonating back to me being like yeah we deal with this a lot and so I was like you know what why not share this dialogue that I'm constantly having with close friends of mine um and strangers and stuff about this topic of being a female in the industry and just this like general lack of 
there's just like this fault in perspective a lot of times around around uh, women and whether you have a uterus or not, like female forward, um, you just kind of get this kind of get like lumped. It's not uncommon to be lumped into this sum with like kids too, right? Like you'll see ads like learn how to fly fish. It'll be like a woman and a kid. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> like I, I understand. Yeah, like women and children. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, like tail as old as time. Right. And, um, this isn't the Titanic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, for like- sure. Um, and you know, that's a complex issue as we all know, but so anyways, that actually was the first article um, essay that I've submitted. It's called let the people fish. And, um, just for the sake of um, confidentiality, it's, it was accepted by a uh, magazine. It's a fly fishing magazine, and um, it should be coming out. I'm not exactly sure which which when it's coming out, but it should be out like within the year, I guess. But um, oh, it says you're offline. All right, we got cut off there, and it sounds like we're having uh, like a little bit of audio issues, but uh, we'll just get wrapped up here. And uh, apologies for if anyone sounds a little bit uh, like blurry here for the next couple minutes. Um, but sorry, you were telling me about the the piece that you just got accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, not exactly sure when it's gonna be re- be released, but um, yeah, they said they wanted it, and yeah, they were like, can't believe this is what happens on a regular basis, you know, like referring to like how often. Um, you can experience levels of just, I mean, let's just be real, just like frustration on a regular basis when people are like, oh, you can cast. And you're like, okay, first of all, you shouldn't be that surprised. It's not like I'm casting across the sandbox, yeah. you know? It's like I'm casting like like 10 feet in front of me. It's like a roll cast, like not even excited, you know? And when people get, when I say people, I am in my brain defaulting to men in general, um, typically, typically white males, unfortunately, I'm not sure why and when, and we know that's a whole complex issue and could really go down a rabbit hole there. But unfortunately, that has been my experience in lots of ways, right? And like I said, I do construction. So I'm in, you know, home improvement stores regularly. And um, when I first started doing construction, I was pretty like, I was like, no, no, it's okay. Like, I've got it. Like, if somebody was trying to offer help and stuff, because it's just, I'm also very short. I'm only, like, five, like, three, I think. And uh, so, yeah, it's like, just a petite human being. And I get it from my mother. She's literally not even five feet. So I understand the default to be like, oh, let me assist you. And I appreciate that. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. But it's the constant sort of like, oh, you don't have, you can't handle this. So, like, in construction, and hunting and fishing, all those kinds of things. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share that common issue that really needs to be corrected within the fly fishing industry and, well, let's be real, most industries. And so, um, yeah, I just really wanted to get that out there and have somebody, I wanted a male reader to be able to be introduced to this very real topic without having to feel uncomfortable having a conversation with someone around it. I wanted them to be able to, to read it, right? And kind of just a slight, you know, just planting a seed, you know? So um, I realized how, um, essentially I realized how powerful writing can be. And of course we know that because we have books and it's part of our language and all of that. But, but myself, giving myself space to share my thoughts and ideas around things that I do feel to be, um, yeah, that I feel to be really important and could really like 
as a whole, like if I see myself as just another species, I also see myself as just another human, no matter what your, well, no matter what your gender is, if you're non-binary, if like whatever, like who cares about what your sexual orientation is? Like, I don't know why everybody always like needs to know that, you know, it's like, yes, like I feel like, and I mean that to say like people who get so hung up on the fact that someone's trans or that someone's gay, it's like, first of all, like, are you, and are you interested in this person romantically? Then like, sure. You would want to know those things. But if this is just like another human, like in your community, like you could kind of just like relax a bit, you know, like if you don't yeah. need to get so, yeah. And so basically like essentially like back to the writing thing. Yeah. I just wanted to be able to share, share these thoughts and ideas that I know are not my own only they're shared with so many people. And uh, yeah, I wanted a space for people to be able to, yeah, just plant that seed. I like that approach. Cause I, I feel like, you don't want to call someone out and have them feel uncomfortable or feel guilty or something, especially when they didn't intend anything wrong. But I, I feel like reading something like that gives people a, a place to self-reflect um, without feeling like they're personally being called out. You know, they can think like, oh, you know, I never thought yeah. about it that way. Maybe next time I interact with somebody, I'll take that into consideration. And it's like, you know, that could be all it takes exactly. to get someone to just like think a little bit before they say something that might come off um, in like a, an unsavory way, even when they didn't intend it to be that way. But at least yeah. now they'll be aware of it when, when they encounter that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's some instances where like, yes, it needs to be directed. And then there's other instances where it's like, yeah, somebody that's even a part of what I put in the article is like a lot of times this is unintentional and a lot of times it is intentional. And so we have to address both, right? You can't just like, Oh, they didn't mean it. That's dismissive. Right. And it's excusing someone's behavior and it's okay. It's important to set boundaries. You know, it's, it's okay to say like, Hey, that's not cool. But you can address it in a different Don't way. Do that again, you know? Like, you know, there's a difference yeah, between exactly. the person who has bad intentions versus good intentions. Like, you're not there to, like, ruin the person yeah. with good intentions life over this thing they didn't even mean to do, <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. It's, yeah, that's the thing. It's individual, right? It's, like, each instance. And so that, yeah. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to write something and share that because it's, yeah, it's, it's not my own experience. It's so many people's experiences. And, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm pretty pumped. So that being said, I... I've already started working on a couple other writings more. Um, I kind of want to expand on the essay that I wrote about my first elk experience. Um, and yeah, I've got some ideas of where I want to send that. And yeah, so I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it. I, I love storytelling and I think it's fun to be able to like take it seriously, you know, and it's terrifying to submit that. I was so scared. <laughs> and the first, my first choice, uh, because I obviously had a list of places to submit it. But my first, my top choice, they said they wanted it. And I was pumped, blown away. I was like, no way. This is so exciting. So, uh, so it was a really positive experience. So, yeah, I'm excited. Well, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And let me know when it gets published because um, I'd love to give it a read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll reach out. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jess, uh, we, can, we can get wrapped up here. Um, last thing, I just want to have you plug wherever people can find you. Like if they, if you want people to follow you on Instagram or um, if you have writing on any sort of blog or anything like that, I don't know if you're just going for the magazines, but basically anywhere people can find you if, if they want to come talk to you or shoot you a message or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, my um, yeah, Instagram would just be, and I'm not on Facebook really. I think my like posts automatically go to Facebook, but I don't ever go on it. So pretty much just uh, Instagram and email. Um, but Instagram, it's um, at Jess, Jess, no E. So it's literally J-U-S-T-N-O underscore E. <laughs> and everybody always calls me Jessie. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> it's, it's J 
just Jess. So, so that's where that comes from. And, um, and then my email is just the same, Jess Gantos. Um, well, not the same. My first okay. name, Jess Gantos at email. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. So, oh, and then I do volunteer with uh, Project Healing Waters. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I actually interviewed uh, someone from it uh, a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I am familiar with the organization. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. I just um, I just started, well, I volunteered with them for the last couple of years, but just a uh, same position of assistant program lead for our uh, Cleveland chapter, or Rocky River. And um, anyways, yeah, they're, they're just a great organization. And I'm like, I help with like social media on that sometimes and stuff. So that's just a project. So P-H-W-F-S is the general um, Instagram handle if you ever wanted to reach out. Perfect. Yeah. Well, uh, this was super fun. I love talking. To, I, I was telling somebody else recently that, um, you know, when fall comes around, I really shift my mindset toward hunting. So I was really excited to hear that you also hunt because I was like, oh, score. <laughs> like, I'm going to, you know, get her on the show to talk about fishing. But secretly, I just want to talk about hunting because that's like where my brain's at. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So <laughs> yeah, totally. I was, yeah, I was very excited too. Because yeah, same thing. I followed you on Instagram and stuff and listened to your podcast and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, fishing, obviously, totally into that, love doing that. And then, yeah, the hunting secret came out and I was like, yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, I will, uh, I'll be yeah. keeping, keeping in touch with you over the years just to see how, how, you know, how your hunting journey goes and let me know if you um, want to get into bow hunting and need any tips. I'm, I'm more than happy to help answer any questions you have. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was really nice to ha- share some space with you and have some like solid fun dialogue so thanks absolutely Katie. I'll, I'll let you know if if i'm coming well we we're coming back to cleveland in december but um over the summer we usually make it back for a week or so in july so if you're still around like i'd love to do like a, a summer fishing trip with like you and other jess and any other people you know in the area oh yeah well if you come around december if you want to try to catch some lake runs oh. uh, obviously if you, if you have time i'm sure holidays are always tight but if you've got time yeah you should come out with us if you have the gear, I won't be bringing any fishing gear home, but I, I might take you up on it if you have any extra gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, reach out. If you want to go out, we've got plenty of Okay, yeah I, yeah, might, yeah, I might hit you up. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds All right, Jess, well, I will let you get thanks going, so but uh, thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, thanks so much. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.